Welcome to Heartbeat Podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Bright, along with my co-host, Joy Stanford. We aim to change the hearts of corporate America. Each week, you'll hear us discuss politics, business, the voice of the black woman, and how our voices are needed in today's world. We bring a myriad of guests on. We love to highlight and promote brown and black people. And our focus is on the ecosystems that are necessary to change corporate America. Through these conversations, you will get a deeper understanding of what is necessary for change. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Heartbeat Radio and Podcast. I am your host, Cindy Bright. Before we start off the show tonight, I have a few things I wanted to say and address before we... Uh, enter in uh, my co-host and the candidates that we have on tonight. First and foremost, I hardly ever really talk publicly about my family other than my son, but I do want to uh, acknowledge I have some family down uh, in California who are sick, very sick from COVID. And so they join us here every week on Heartbeat. Uh, This is my family, Penny and Bonnie, and I'm just sending uh, the both of you some love from Seattle, Washington to get better and get well and get rid of that darn COVID. Bonnie, you particularly. So I love you guys. I hope you're here with me tonight. I just wanted to make sure you knew I was thinking about you guys tonight. Before we start, before I bring Joy in, let me just talk about a couple things tonight. Uh, Last week we had on um, candidates who were running for re-election. Tonight, Uh, We are going to have two candidates on that are running and competing for the seat that Representative Kirsten Harris Talley uh, is vacating. Uh, I think all of you have seen, uh, uh, well, let me introduce the candidates. I'm not going to bring them on quite yet. We have Chapalo uh, Street coming on and Amijah Smith. Representative Harris uh, Talley Uh, is leaving the seat. And I think many of you saw the article in the Emerald about her departure from the legislature. Uh, She uh, is a one-term legislature who did an interview with the Emerald, if we can show that article. And there were some very compelling things in that article that I think is important that we pay attention to, particularly as candidates are looking to fill those seats. She talked about a culture of toxicity She talked about a culture, in my words, I will use the term bullying, of what was happening uh, to her uh, as a first-time candidate and being kind of whipped into shape and told to get in line. I think all of us as Black people have heard that and experienced that all through our lives. She talked about a lack of integrity uh, that was going on in the caucus. uh, And she did call out and say there were some really well-principled people that are there. But we're at a place now where, um, look, we let's bring Joy in with me to have this part of the conversation before we bring our guests on. Joy, welcome back on with me today. We know Joy and I both ran for office. Joy ran twice. I ran once. We met in 2018. Joy re-ran again in 2020. We know the grind and what is required to get in office. It is no joke. And to get people into office and elected. We have focused this show heavily on helping to propel and promote candidates into office. This work that is going on behind the scenes to help get us represented, just to lose the demographic of people that we need to have elected with one term, um, is 
beyond frustrating and beyond exhausting for us as brown and black community to be advocating and supporting. Would you agree with this, Joy, about? Yeah, I was heartbroken is what I would say. I was heartbroken when Jesse announced his and then even more so because, you know, I'm friends with with Kristen. um, Uh uh, And I just I was like, what? We finally got someone in there who's going to speak truth to power and, you know, push the envelope. And, and she was the one that I felt had that personality and that demeanor and that class and style to do it in a way to bring other folks along. So um, for her to get in there and then stay one term, which by the way, we said this before on another show, short session is rough. It is rough on our elected officials. I'm not even sure why we do it. How can we change that so that they have time to do the work that we elect them to do when they go there? Well, that's 60 days. is not enough time. 60 days is not enough time. But that's the key to tonight's show is that the people that we get elected to do the work. Now I have said this, I've been criticized for it, but I've said this, that, you know, I give, I give elected officials one term to get their feet underneath them, to get acclimated. Like, and it's hard because they, you know, the, the black women, black people that we're putting into office are going in fiercely moving to try to get things done because we all know as a marginalized community, just have a limited amount of time, limited limited amount amount of time. time. And it's a game of math. And so the game of math is, you know, you've got to build relationships. You've got to be able to move things. But when you're dealing within your own caucus, uh, the battle within your own caucus to keep you in line, that's the same, you know, um, supremacist behavior towards us to tell us to do as we tell you to do and not do what your constituents have put you into office to do. And so, you know, here lies, so we have a vacant seat. And so I don't want to take up the time. I want to bring on the candidates to be able to have that conversation with them. Let's introduce the first candidate for the first half of the show. We're bringing in uh, Chapalo Street. Uh, welcome to Heartbeat Radio, Chapalo. Hi, ladies. Hi. How are you tonight? Good. How are you? Welcome I'm good. First, let's start off with like sending some thoughts and prayers to your family. Like, we want to be done with COVID, but everyone knows that while the test numbers are down, it's likely because they're not being reported. I mean, when was the last time that you reported a at-home test to the, the authorities? So this thoughts is and true. prayers to your family. Thank you for that. But my, she is definitely suffering um, longer than we'd like. So thank you for that. Look, we, we want to give you um, an open floor before we start asking you questions mm-hmm. about, you know, talk to the community about your decision to run for this seat. You heard us talking in the prior part about our views about Representative um, Harris Talley leaving. What, what, what do you want to tell the community about your decision to run? And then share with us the platform that you're running on. For sure. Yeah, you jumped straight into the meat of it. Like we can start with why I'm running. We can start about the platform. I mean, you guys asked a great question as to what I thought about um, Kirsten stepping back. And I think my thoughts reflect many of the ones that I've heard here of like being heartbroken. We had someone that we really wanted to speak truth to power, um, like having the personality and the class and the demeanor to establish these relationships, because it is a very fine line between establishing relationships and moving people towards your viewpoint and isolating them and really 
even in the best terms, like advocating for your position, but still isolating people and not making progress. And so we really did hope that we had that person in Kirsten. And so people were sort of taken aback when she stepped back. And not only for the reasons that you guys mentioned, I would also sort of throw in there that she started during COVID. And this is a job of relationships. And I can't imagine trying to establish trusting relationships with 98 people that I don't know over Zoom and thinking that I had some kind of rapport that could move them towards my point of view. So I think there were many things that were sort of stacked against her as we look at the situation. And I guess my overall some synopsis of this is, regardless of how you think we got to this position, I think it was a very adult decision for her to step back and very hard, right? Like if she got to the point where she realized that her heart wasn't in it, I can imagine so many other people holding on to it because, as you guys said, it takes so much time. It takes so much effort to get elected. And then once you have a position of power and status, many people would hold on to that just because they have it. And so the fact that she stepped back and said, hey, this isn't for me, at least in this time in my life, let me let someone else who would step up and put their heart and soul into it. Like, I applaud that, um, regardless of what those background and mitigating factors are. I don't. I think I, she. I, I, I think her heart and soul was in it. Yeah. Um, and I'm gonna say I. I still think it is. I, I took from that article because I have not had a chance to talk to her. But I took from that article, there were moments where she couldn't do the work that she may have wanted to do for her constituents in the way that's authentic and genuine for her. Sure. And so, and I, I'm going to make that broad. I think that's every one of us like Cindy and I ran, we wanted to get in there and we still wanted to be ourselves. We wanted to be our authentic, genuine selves. So um, I, I think there's still room and time for her to come back. And Yeah, please don't take that as like she didn't want to do the work. It's more of the environment wears on your heart and soul. And so That's you right. can't do as good a job yeah. as you would like. And yeah. so letting someone else step in there, I think, is still a very valiant um, well, interesting enough, though, interesting enough, her, both her and Representative Johnson, who left, were both uh, representing the community on police reform. And so, and we're losing both of those two representatives who were advocating for change in that regard. Now, we're all watching on national news what happens when any of us start to speak out or do the right things. And so the question becomes, you know, for you, Chipolo, you know, are you equipped and ready to go in and deal with probably unprecedented, maybe is maybe that's the right word, but the pressure that were that, um, you know, that will get put upon you when you come in to line up and conform. What are your thoughts about that? Will you be able to navigate that and stand true for the community and not allow yourself to be bullied in the sense that many of those legislators are being forced to line up. I guess that's my first um, for question. Sure. Yeah. For sure. I, I believe I would. And I would say that I've experienced doing that at Microsoft. So that's Microsoft is my day job. I work in the office of the chief, chief technology officer. And what my job is, is guiding executive VPs on company strategy and emerging technology. Now, I may have an opinion, but it may not be their opinion. And it's my job to establish trusting relationships with these folks and then guide them towards what I think is right for the company. Um, and not only is that dealing with people with large egos, which is probably some similar egos in the legislature, um, it's also a primarily white institution and setting. 
there's like what two three percent of black people in that company or in, in tech in general and so i think that's also some of the issues that we deal with in the, the legislature where there is a lack of representation of people that look like us um, and then sort of specifically to your other question about police accountability like that is something that is far too near and dear to my heart like i think all of us it has touched us in various ways but when i was at brown uh, myself and a friend were walking around campus and we have a public campus and we walked onto a public street and some brown police officers approached me and asked me and my friend for our id i was annoyed because it was like why are you asking for my id in a public campus and on a public street so i continued to walk my friend gave him his id and then told the police who they were the police put out an apb for me and providence police picked it up now if you read the police report the providence police say that i walked around the officer um, then the officer got in front of me and grabbed me. I pushed the officer's hands away with my hands up. Um, and then he had to use the least amount of force necessary to subdue the subject. The least amount of force necessary was enough to send me to the hospital before they took me to jail. The least amount of force necessary was enough that a woman who, or a student who was watching it said she was traumatized by it. And like, I think we all know how some police reports are written. I don't believe it because I was that student. Um, all I remember is getting hit in the back of the head and then like screaming my name. So I just didn't disappear. So like police accountability is near and dear to my, my heart. And so while it's sad that we are losing two of those champions for it, I would also definitely be a champion to replace them. Do you what think is your platform? Excuse me? What is your platform that you're running on? Sure. So, I mean, police accountability is one thing that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I've also seen what education has done for my life. And my parents went through extreme efforts to get me into the best schools. So, for example, I went to the best public schools in Washington, D.C. that were outside of my um, district, and they had to sleep out overnight in front of the school to get on that list. And so, like, I have seen what education has done for me. And through that, I found a love of computer science in high school. Um, and that's propelled me through Brown and into Microsoft and into a great paying job that allows me to have, like, buy a house at my age, which is crazy. Like, people can't buy houses anymore, even with like, great jobs that aren't in tech. Um, so, number one, education. I want an, every kid to be able to have a great education. I think it's crazy that we don't do a better job of technology education in this region, particularly right. because it's a industry that's really important, but also changing this region. So we should be preparing our kids to take part in it. Um, and I've given back not only in being active in technology, but also I volunteer taught computer science at Technology Access Foundation. That was um, a organization that was founded by Trish. And so like I've actually given my own time back to making sure that kids that look like me um, can have more digital equity. So there's education. There's also housing. As I mentioned before, I'm blessed that I work in tech so I can buy a house. Everyone should be able to have stable housing. And so I want to make sure that renters have proper protections and that we also fix the market forces that are sort of driving these market prices out of whack. Um, and then the last one is making sure that people have good jobs. I was a professional soccer referee, and that can sort of be seen as a fun fact, but that's actually relative and relevant to this race because through that experience, I was part of the Professional Soccer Referee Association, which is the union that represents yeah. uh, professional soccer referees in the US and Canada. And we actually had to go through a work stoppage to get um, fair compensation and just to get like separate locker rooms for our female colleagues to change in. Like very, very basic worker accommodation. Basic stuff. <laughs> exactly. Like 
oh, like you want separate locker rooms. Ooh, like we had to go through a work stoppage to get that. And so like, I would also want to stand with our other unions so that working people can advocate for themselves. And I would also advocate for them at the legislative level. And do you, do you, go ahead, George, go ahead. Do you think um, going back to um, police accountability, do you think you'd be able to, because I, it was my understanding that when those bills were put together with Representative Johnson at the time, enforcement was a part of that conversation. And so do you feel like you can go into conversation, courageous conversations, telling your story, asking them the hard questions, letting them ask you the hard questions and, and, and coming to some sort of common ground? Do you think you are up for that challenge of doing that? Cause that, I, I can't imagine how hard that might be for you, someone who's had yeah. incident with them. So. I mean, like, to be quite frank, whenever I see, see a police officer still, there is, like, a little, like, thing that goes off in my heart and stomach. Like, a no. little bit, like, it's, it's like, quite frankly, it's probably no, PTSD, it's quite frankly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. That said, I have multiple friends from high school who are police officers. Two of my good friends are Capitol Police officers and had to deal with the craziness of January 6th. Like, it's... Just because some police officers betray their oath does not mean that they're all bad. Like, That's we right. still need police officers in our community. That's I just want right. them to be professional, and I want the few of them who act out to be held accountable. Um, I also want our, like, society to think of public safety as more than police. Like, we shouldn't have to send a person with a gun to every interaction that deals with public safety, right? Like, we don't need police in our schools. We need counselors. We don't need guys with guns responding to mental health crises. We need counselors who are trained for this like we just ask our police to do too much in things that they're not trained for uh, and so like i why are we surprised at the outcomes that we get aside from the bad actors right like the bad actors are a completely separate thing that we need to handle differently right like, that just needs to be stopped point blank right. but, then, but then even if we didn't have those we're still act, asking our police to do things that they're not trained for and i know cindy and i talked about that when we ran for office so that is yeah good point um, I have, I want to ask you a question and then I want to honor that we have questions coming in on the feed um, from people uh -huh. who are watching the show. So I wanted to probe uh, with you just a little bit on the education space, because uh, when you mentioned uh, that you went to Brown University, um, that is a privately held school. And so I want to get your view, a private school, right? So I want to hear it your is. views about, I want to hear your views about public education and I want to hear your views about um, do you believe that brown and black people have a right to have a choice about where their kids go to school uh, here publicly, wh whether it be, let me just ask, well, do you believe that they should have a choice in how they attend public school? For sure. Like, I want all kids to have a quality education. Um, I'm personally a product of public schools through like K through 12 education. I did go to a private university. Um, so I would love to see people have those options. So specifically for um, post-secondary education, there's two things I would like to see. Number one, I would love the trades to be a respected option. I don't want to necessarily track our kids into the trades, but I think it should be an option that is respected. So for example, my two best friends from junior high school, they went through uh, four-year college. They got the traditional job after that, and they hated it. They didn't get paid well. It was stressful. It was just, it didn't align with what they like to do. They went back, became journeyman electricians and love it. They get paid better, more stable hours. One's right. about to start his own electrical company. Like 
it's awesome. Um, I'm not saying that everyone has to go in the trades, just like everyone shouldn't have to go into tech to have a good job, but it should be a valued and respected option that we have for our kids. And then let me ask, let me ask you something about sure. that. Though, your counterpart in the 37th, who's in the position one, um, has taken a very public stance that um, not all children have critical thinking skills, not all kids. And she really emphasized the trades and all. And while I'm not I'm not arguing. I do agree about the trades and so forth. What has come out of the 37th historically <laughs> has been um, an inference that brown and black kids don't have the capability to think deep. And so there has been a deflection, if you will, of allowing parents to or, or supporting parents who want a choice for their kids to be able to go into schools and be able to learn critical thinking skills. So I don't want to belabor it because this is the quickest 30 minutes of your life. Trust yeah, me. for sure. <laughs> you know, I'm just putting that out there because that is a concern in the 37th district about parents wanting the right to choose. We've had several comments come into the feed. Let's get to Daniel. Let's bring up. We had some earlier comments. We've had comments around. Someone's asking, are you from Seattle? Nope. Washington, D.C. Yeah. So I grew up in D.C. I've been in Seattle for 15 years. I came straight out of college. So I've been, I, we can go, the, I have more volunteer experience in this community than some of the other candidates have living here. So like, while Amijah is from the district, I would never want to take that away from her. Like, and I never want to like tear down a black woman. Like she is from the district. Yeah. I piece to that. Um, I still would make you. the argument that I would be a more effective legislator. We won't let you tear us down, Chapala, just so you know. Oh, I can't. I can't even if I tried. <laughs> but I like that you got a little grace and love in there for her, too. So that's oh, good. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And what's your, another question that came in that said, what is your position on social equity in cannabis? A social equity in cannabis, like we should 100% legalize weed and we should make sure that the people who are in jail for minor weed infractions aren't in jail, that they can vote and that they are the ones who can like sell this and have licenses for it, right? Like you want to talk about like experience with something. Well, then why don't you like give the people who have experience selling it? Because you obviously said they have experience selling it because you put them in jail for it. <laughs> like, why don't you make sure that they can lead the way in terms of um, in terms of when it gets legalized so that and we so, can. And so it is legalized well. here and for black sure. men are being incarcerated at a you know, black men are going to jail at a four to one ratio for this issue. Now, today in the news comes out that we have, I don't want to say an excess, I don't think that's the term they use, but we have one and a half billion dollars worth of additional revenue now in the state of Washington. I don't know if you saw that come out today. And so if you believe in social equity for cannabis, for education, what percent, what would you do with that one and a half billion dollars extra uh, that we have now to make decisions about where that money goes to. I mean, there's many ways. Like the first thing we could probably start with is housing, right? Like let's stop the displacement of our communities that were traditionally redlined into the areas that they're in. And now when those communities become hot places to live, they get like taxed out or they get priced out or like, yeah, they have tons of equity in their house, but they can't access it because they would have to take out a high priced loan. Like let's make sure that these folks don't have to leave the houses and communities that they have because communities are really about people. Like there's so many ways and like like that's still in housing. Like let's when we talk about housing, I sort of view this in like two ways. There's like the long term things that balance the market and the short term measures that we can use to get to that that long-term vision. So like long-term vision, we need state investment in low-income housing because the private market's not going to do that for 
for us because it does they can't make money off of it uh, we also need to increase density so that people can build more units around transit and then invest in that transit um, and that takes state investment as well and then in the short term we need vouchers so that people can live in market rate housing that exists without spending their whole paycheck. We need short-term temporary rental assistance so that a like a very temporary hardship doesn't turn into them losing their home because then it's harder for them to work and it's harder for their kids to go to school and it just snowballs from there. So I think there's plenty of ways that we can reinvest that money in the communities that have been harmed as well. And I think I saw another question about my stance on gun violence. Uh, gun violence, yeah, gun control. What what of gun control? How will you deal with that? I'm completely for strengthening gun laws. Like, let's start with the common sense ones that everyone is in agreement with, and then I would be support going even farther. Like, I lost my first friend to gun violence in the seventh grade. Um, I then lost two more in the tenth grade, and then more in eleventh and twelfth grade. Like, talking about that makes me feel bad because I don't really remember how many people I have lost, and then that makes me feel like the ones I don't remember mean less. So, like, that is something that's impacted my life since I was a kid. Um, and I would love to see end and no one should go through that. So tell us about your campaign. How much money have you raised? How many doors <laughs> have you knocked? These oh are the my God. people are gonna ask you. Joy. For sure, for sure. Like the campaign that no one thought was gonna happen, right? Like as we said before, it was like, hey, surprise, there's a campaign. Let's figure out if you're gonna run. <laughs> Um, so like myself and I think everyone else is we're all behind the ball the eight ball because other campaigns have been going since January and February we just got off the ground in like late April early May um, I'm blessed to say that I have a network that has allowed me to raise a lot of money I think I'm at around like fifty two thousand or something like that nice. right now um, nice. so like money means far too much in politics it is extremely frustrating that you have to spend so much time calling people for money but that's the state of our politics right now. So like the best way I look at it is like, it lets me get the message out and that I'm slightly okay with. <laughs> um, so yeah, knocking on doors, like we are starting our canvassing this weekend. I'm super excited to do that because that's the part that I think I'll enjoy the most of. I'd much rather be out in the community talking to people about what they want as opposed to calling people and asking them for money is what they can do for me. Um, so if you'd like to join the campaign, like go to the website, sign up and volunteer. If you want to donate, or, I have to ask you as a good candidate, please support the cause. Um, but we'd love to see you out in canvassing as well. And that's where I think it will the campaign will really be fun. And I told you this was the greatest. Huh? Go ahead. And I both ran in 2018. I will say I started late too. You got this. Just because you start late, it's okay. I don't want you to feel like it's not because I started late. I think Cindy in 2018, you started way before I did. No, I filed right in May. I mean, I oh, see, we yeah, both. Filed there you go. There you go. And it's hell. So I'm not. I I will amplify what you just said. It's hell to raise money. Um, as grassroots. Yeah. Uh, I did look at your PDC today to see your fundraising, and I was looking at who is supporting you. I didn't have behind me what you have behind you. I'll just say that. So um, you have a leg up as far if you look at how my campaign went compared to how yours had started off. So, look, I told you fastest 20-something minutes of your life. Um, we just want to thank you for coming on with us to have thank a Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, just wanted to make sure we get our candidates uh, visible into our community. Um, we're going to take a quick station identification, and then we're going to come back with the another candidate who's running for the same seat, uh, Amijah Smith. So let's just take a quick station ID. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. Thank you.
Welcome back to Heartbeat Radio and Podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Bright. Thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, we are having uh, two candidates on this evening that are discussing uh, replacing or backfilling, if you will, the vacant position, position two, I believe it is, in the 37th District, South Seattle, vacated by Kristen Harris Talley. Uh, Joy Stanford, my co host, is here with me tonight. Uh, Joy, well, let's see. There she is. <laughs> You're back. A good interview in the first half. We have our second half candidate, so we're excited to welcome in. Uh, she is known as Queen, so let's bring in the second candidate, Amaja Smith. Welcome Hello, to everybody. How are you? <laughs> I am wonderful. Happy good. to be here. Thank you for the invite. Thank you for coming on with us tonight. Uh, we will give you the floor and let you talk to us about your campaign, why you're running, what you're running on, what's your platform before we dive in with questions, our quick 20-something minutes worth of questions here. Okay, here I go. My name is Imaja Smith. Please call me Imaja. I'm born and raised in the 37th Legislative District. I am a mother. I am a grandmother. I'm a survivor of the war on drugs in our community. So as a high school student, as a young person, I said, I, I went forward to say that I am all about restoring and healing our community from those harms. I understand what it looks like and what it feels like to be under, under-resourced and underserved in your community. So that has been my journey ever since. And becoming a mother, I understand how to navigate these systems of education and healthcare. I've been doing legislative advocacy over 15 years in Olympia with families, utilizing our power and our voice to make meaningful change in the community. So I've been at in the, uh, Olympia making sure we got the $400 million of reinvestment funds back into the community. I have been there as the voice to make sure that we had the Washington State Housing Finance, make sure that they were equitable in their resources and got the Africatown Plaza, the Ethiopian Village, the Elizabeth Tommen Homes, PETA Village, all in the 37th district. I was part of that collaborative and of that collective voice. So I'm here. My vision is really simple. It's about healthy families and healthy communities. And what does that take? As a mother and as a grandmother, I understand what that actually means. And I am an effective and I will be very effective, continually effective in Olympia because I've already done the work and continue to do the work to this day. I'm a survivor of domestic violence, and I plan to champion legislation that will bring more protections and supports because too often Black women and immigrant women, our stories are not believed. So that's what that's what I'm here to do. I've been endorsed by our count, King County Council member, Gurmai Zahilai. Thank you as a sole endorsement. Our Seattle City Council member, Tammy Morales. Dr. Danielson, uh, Rep. Jamila Taylor, Representative Jesse Johnson, Representative Tara Simmons, Dr. Danielson, a champion for our health care, Larry Gossett, our civil rights leader, Dominic Davis, you know, our social justice champion for change in our community. These people would not put their name by my name and risk their reputation on me if they did not know and see that I do this work. And I stand out with the other candidates, not just because I'm from the district and have the historical context and the current context, but also because I've done the work for the numerous years, right? We have one, we have Chapalo, 15 years. I think that's wonderful. You have some context, that's great. But I have a lifetime of, com- of context. We have Nimko Bulale, wonderful person, but I think not really from the district a brief time, been here for maybe a year, so two years max. We have Andrew, about eight years. I have all my years of actual professional experience, community lived experience. 
of doing the work, you could put all their uh, time in the district together. I supersede that. So I think I'm the most effective, but not because it's a, a power trip or a money trip to be in Olympia, because it's about the heart and really leaving our community better than the way we found it. It's about pouring into our children and the generations that are coming um, in our future. Thank you. And you're an Emerge graduate. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Cindy gets inundated with us, so it's okay. <laughs> I am not an Emerge graduate. Um, <laughs> And I get, We're going to have to make her an honorary one because she says that. Honorary. Yeah. And I bring a lot of you guys on to the show. Um, you know, I wanted to ask, you know, when I was looking at your long history, Elijah, in the community, you've done quite a bit. Uh, I read about your advocacy in um, education. So I'd like to hear your views about um, education for brown and black kids, where you stand on that, whether you uh, do you support choice for brown and black families to have choice for education for their students? What are your thoughts about that? That'd be my first question. Uh, I'll let you answer that. Or Thank I'm sure you. Uh -huh. You know, again, as a high school student thinking about how we can, you know, um, have increased material, the conditions of the black community, I do believe that education is a way out of your circumstances. So I've been an avid educator. Um, advocate for education, learning about how the education system even works from the federal government down to our state level and how it trickles down into our uh, districts. You know, I've been a fierce advocate in Seattle public schools. Um, anybody could tell you who a community queen is in Seattle public schools. So I've, I'm a catalyst to the current strategic plan of Seattle public schools that is focusing on students furthest from educational justice and focusing on our, our black males and our black and our brown males as well. So this is not new to me. I have black boys. I know what that navigation looks like. I understand what ed a special education, it can, you can make it work for you, but too often it's not working for our kids and sending them into the prison pipeline. And so I'm a fierce advocate there. I believe that our families, black and brown, should have access to choice because if one, we shouldn't have to just sit and, and be underserved by one system while it's trying to get itself together, right? We should be able to have access to other opportunities. And none of those systems are perfect, but I believe not just black and brown families, but all families should have an, um, access to choice for what's best for their students, particularly our students who need special education resources. The state still needs to fully fund that. Our indigenous community are not being fully served. Um, so yeah, I'm a fierce advocate on local level and state level. I make things happen. Yes. We asked that because we we've had uh, some kids on here that we interviewed that were in the public school system and then went to a charter school, public school. Um, and um, it was amazing to hear them speak, to see their demeanor and then hear their parents speak to say, this was not my child one, two, three years ago. Um, this is not the same child. This child has blossomed. So it's, it's good to. Good to hear you say yeah, that. Yeah, it's not fair to our children to have to continue to keep suffering while these systems are trying to get themselves together. In the meantime, we have to do both. It's a both and. Yes. And in the meantime, we should prioritize, prioritize the quality education for our students so that they can have access to career, the trades, whatever they choose to do, but they need to have an opportunity. Yes. Elijah, I read uh, the article in the Times also about your uh, stance on social equity in the cannabis space. Would you like to speak on that too? Yeah, as a survivor of the war on drugs and really watching my friends, you know, 
be criminalized or, you know, suffer from that. I believe that when it was legalized, I always questioned, you know, if we can't get into the job opportunities, if we can't be in the economic development of this legalization, that was going to be harmful to our community. So I've always been firm to say, let's get these dollars back into the hands of those who were most harmed. Let's hear from those who were most impacted what that could look like, because it's not just that you got arrested. It's that you lost housing access because you had a a record. It's because you could have had your family split apart because Mm -hmm. you had a record. There's all types of things that could have occurred so that those monies need to go back and be poured directly into those who are most harmed. And what are your thoughts thoughts about the community reinvestment money um, that is coming uh, back into our communities, um, how that should be allocated? It's a 400,000 over three years. And then the second part of that question, I don't know if you heard me ask this to Chapalo, but mm-hmm. today in the news, there's this article that came out about one and a half billion dollars worth of um, additional revenue, unanticipated revenue in the state of Washington. What should we do with that money that's coming uh, back into the state? First of all, I'm excited. And I'm just going to say it really took black and brown people to advocate for that money. And it was hard. It was it was not won easily, put it like that. Um, so I think that it should go into small businesses and organizations that are uh, black and brown led, you know, but it also can serve the, our BIPOC communities overall. But we need to make sure those who have been most harmed can be most healed and most restored. You know, I sit on the um, King County's Community Investment Budget Committee right now. So King County has it's just $10 million, but it's a good start. That's also targeting those uh, marijuana revenue dollars into Skyway, into White Center, to the neighborhoods that were, again, most harmed, looking to see what projects can improve the community overall. Um, so that that's how I feel the small businesses give people an opportunity, because currently you, they're still not given the licenses to folks to even participate in the economic development of, of the war and crime. I mean, on this Lord, my, I'm getting tongue twisted. The war on drugs on our community through marijuana. What's There's holding up the licenses? Excuse me? What is holding up the licenses? The, there's a cap. There's just people seeing it from different sides. So um, folks who may have been able to benefit off of this don't want to, you know, if you bring in more licenses, then it's a competition, how you get yourself started. I'm not the expert on it, but I've learned a great deal by sitting on committees and coalitions to better understand uh, what's happening across the state. It's a lot of cost to start your business, you know, so these reinvestment dollars should be able to support those, again, who've been most harmed so that they can prosper in the economic development. There's a lot of tax dollars coming here, mm-hmm. and I think they should be focusing on the unhoused um workforce development, definitely education, anything that can heal the harm to those who are most harmed by the process, but we shouldn't be left out of the process. There's a, there's, there it is right there. It's not being left out. Mm -hmm. What I don't, I don't see the equity as you've got more folks that are not black that have licenses and businesses that are thriving Mm -hmm. in communities where there may be two cannabis stores, you know, versus Seattle that has a lot, but I'm going to just use out here in where I live two or, or maybe three, maybe, maybe three. But, um, you know, how, where's the equity in that? 
that you're giving it to black and brown folks as well and indigenous folks. I mean, I don't know. Do the indigenous people want that? They've got cigarettes. I don't know. But, you know, where's the where's the equity in all that? At the end of the day, it's a racial justice issue. It's an equity mm-hmm. issue. And if we're, if we're really going to be about our talk and we want to be about action, we have to push and advance racial equity. Bottom line. That's just what it is. And so it, it's going to happen through our policies. It's going to happen through our legislation. Right. So I want to go to the next level and be in Olympia to not only utilize my voice, which has been very effective, but now utilize the power of my my vote to ensure that something's happening, that we're bringing us all along forward through the process. And your district, the 37th, is the is it arguably the most diverse uh, district in the state of Washington? I think so. I, I don't know that for a fact, but I know you're heavily We're heavily diverse with the gentrification and displacement, you know, Um, it's moving into other districts. I know that Skyway has the most African-American population, Um, but I want to I want to catch the numbers because the displacement is happening so rapidly. You know, I don't want to misquote or misstate, but it is my understanding that the 37th has been the most not only um, diverse, but it's been like the most impacted. This is like from air quality, our soul, our soul soil quality, um, healthcare access, uh, people being incarcerated. When you look at the numbers across the state, you're going to, it's going to say King County. But when you think about King County, where the dense population of African-American and and indigenous and Brown people, it's been here in the 37. Did you catch the first part of the show when I was, before we brought um, Chapala on, when I was talking about the article that um, was written um, the interview with Representative, uh, yeah, Harris Talley, and the things that she talked about what was going on down in Olympia. And she talked about feeling othered, um, silenced and, you know, uh, shaped and whipped and told to get in line. Uh, she talked about an environment of toxicity, and she talked about leadership that lacked integrity. She called out a lot of really there's a really a lot of good people down there, the most principled people she's seen, but she really honed in on um, the world that we all live in on a daily. And it seemed amplified um, in the caucus. And so I just wonder how you um, respond to that or how will you deal with that? And let me, let me say that a little bit different. Joy and I have been, we've been, Joy's been, on with me over a year now, but this show is in its fifth year. And we've been talking about these issues, you know, every week and helping to propel people, particularly we've really focused our show heavily on black women, as I shared with you um, to propel and help get into office. But if all this work we're doing out here to help trying to level the playing field is taken away with you younger people who have the energy I'm Joy and I are the same age and we are in our upper we are not going to run for office again. <laughs> you know, how do we sustain, you know, the people that we're trying to help get into office and how will they navigate through that kind of stuff? I will put uh, that's the term I'll use. How, what do you think about that? Well, I, I wasn't at the top of the hour when you asked the question, but it wasn't a surprise to me. Again, I've been going to Olympia over 15 years. So it is an isolating place. I make sure I say hi to all the people of color um, there just to give them a a warm smile because the the space in there could feel very toxic if you're not used to it. I'm not really going there to, you know, make 
to be accepted, I my community accepts me. I'm going there to represent. Um, I'm not surprised at all the experience because there's some people, if you say the word equity, you might get shut down in the conversation. So this is not this is not really new to me. I, it is unfortunate the isolated way people feel. And I just hope to, you know, build relationship and strength that we can lock arms together with other folks there so you don't feel alone. Um, but I I'm, I anticipated this already before I ever even thought I would step into the race because I, I'm in those spaces. And so when we go there as families together, we make sure we go together. You don't send somebody into the state capitol to testify or anything alone because of that, the way it feels, because of the isolation, because of the microaggressions that are up there. So I, I feel prepared for that. I mean, I wish that was not the feeling for Kirsten Harris Talley because I thought she was doing a wonderful job, you know, um, but she went there to hold the space. And then she also brought back the truth to prepare whoever goes next. So I think that that was a sign for me to be prepared. So that's the way I take it. And I have to honor her decision. And I'm there to hold that space. I'm there to hold that space. See, I've been there long enough that even if I have testified, the way I'm showing up here is the way I've already showed up there. So I'm going to move with my integrity. I'm going to maintain who I am and be unapologetically me. But also I understand you have to uh, build relationship. You have to see other people's perspectives. You need to play along, but you do not have to sell out. Mm -hmm. You do not have to uh, walk with, I'm going to walk with dignity. I got to come back to the Safeway and to the community (laughs) center. You know, know, that's what I'm saying. I need my people to be. You gotta like, still be authentic and genuine. You gotta <laughs> still be authentic and genuine. Um, you, but I, 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 go ahead, Joy. I remember going and not seeing anyone I'm testifying in front of that looked like me, like five, six, seven years ago, maybe, maybe even longer than that. And I was like, oh my god, what? Was you know? And I just remember, I just read what I came to read, you know? And so, yeah, it's, um, I'm glad you're going there. You know, um, I think um, the 37th is going to be better for you or Chapalo, whichever one gets through there, you guys got to fight it out. But um, I'm glad that you guys are just taking this on and stepping into that space, both of you, um, to say we're here we're going to still represent our community um, because we look like our community. So I I do want to add that my elementary school and middle school, even some high school experience prepared me for this. I was always the one or two black kids in my classroom, in my whole, in my education experience. So to go up there and be a little bit alone and feel that I think that I was prepared for this in advance. I think we've, we've all had as black women, we've all had most of our careers or most of our life where, you walk into a place or space and you are it. Yeah. But the difference is I've built really great relationships over the, that time. So I think it's a testament of how I move and how I'd like to see the humanity of other people and just re- relate on the human level because I've, I've had great friends since high school, you know, great friends since middle school who have diverse backgrounds and are, don't look like me and didn't come back to my neighborhood Right. And also, I feel like I've helped people to respect my experience. Right. And to um, to learn and grow. I consider myself a seed planner. So I just like to help people get an understanding so we can grow and develop together, try to meet people where they are. But at the same time, always bring and make people understand I have a lived experience that needs to be valued and respected. 
I love that. You know, one of the things you said just a couple minutes ago and my head was, I was mulling over, how do I ask her this question without my normal, as Joy would say, going for the gut uh, okay. question. But, you know, you commented about, you know, you, which is what um, uh, I believe Representative Talley did. You go represent your constituents and you, you said, I, I believe I could go do that, build relationships and not sell out when I get down there. And so I guess my question is, you know, when we look at um, elected officials, black and brown elected officials who get in, is there a view that our other elected officials are selling out in order to survive? Do you have a perspective about, um, do you have a perspective about that? My perspective is that people use different um, strategies so people can take it how they want. I, I do think people are just surviving, but what is you have to decide the values and the principles you're going to walk forward with. You know, the ancestors, our ancestors were descendants of the stolen ones. We have to like, we got to hold a firm boundary at some point in order for you to look at your, look at yourself in the mirror, you know, you have to decide where that boundary is. Um, and I, I'm going to hold firm. I believe I'm a, I got the spirit of Harriet Tubman. So I'm going to push <laughs> I don't believe in that sellout because it doesn't, it doesn't, it hasn't gotten us anywhere. Right. To be honest, we're still stagnant. We're still, uh, our material conditions as black community are very similar to when we, you know, came out of enslavement. So I don't see the point in doing that. I think you, and, and, when, we, and when we show up for who we are, we become Shay Moss, right? Are we watching Shay Moss in the, news like a woman a black woman stepping yes. up and doing the right thing and then we fall under a massive attack which is what yes. i'm assuming um happened with representative harris and probably representative johnson i'm speculating but you know both of them were uh, definitely advocates for uh police reform the minute you speak out you know it's a problem and so i'm just i'm just saying that because you know we need you or whomever wins a seat uh, to muscle up and not allow uh, them to do this sort of stuff to you or to um, us. Um, we've only got a couple more minutes left here. I know you're the chief of staff on King County Equity Now. Do yeah. you want to comment about the work on King County Equity Now and what they're doing? I will share that King County Equity Now starting out as really a lot of volunteers act, being activists in the streets is now a formalized, a very new organization that's really pushing policy advocacy and really supporting other organizations in our ecosystem to be a voice, to use our base, to really get the education out there, get the issues out there. So I do believe that King County Equity Now is an essential organization in our community that can help with strengthen our partnerships and definitely strengthen our voice in Olympia and on the local level. And I'm proud to be a person there to help formalize and help strengthen and, and structure uh, the organization to be a, a strong advocacy organization. Awesome. Tell us about your campaign. You know, I'm going to ask that because I'm going to work. How many doors have you knocked? What's up? What, what have you raised? What's going on? I love how Chapalo answered the question and he really didn't. <laughs> no, he said he, he came in late. He said he came into the and and I can I can understand because I did too with my race in 2018. I came in late. I'm gonna be honest, I feel good about the campaign. First of all, coming in late, first of all, being new to the campaign uh 
a system, I guess you would say, um, because I'm a natural anti-racist organizer, you know, I'm less of a politician. I've been doing the work and I feel like I've been doing the work in Olympia, Olympia in a very effective way in the style that I normally have. So I'm out door knocking, targeting our primary voters, of course, but really letting the community know they got a real one out here really going to do this work, been doing this work first and foremost and garnering that support. I'm the Mercer PTSA president, right? So I have connections with families, not only locally, but across the state who have seen the work. So I'm really just banking on the relationships that I have going out door knocking. I love talking to people about this work. It's an amazing thing to do. The fundraising to me has been great. I'm not, you know, there's a hierarchy in it. I'm not, I'm not at the bottom. I'm going to say that right there. And, <laughs> and that's a testament that people want to see someone like me who's really going to represent our voice because I have the historical and current context of the issues there. So it's not over, but yeah, I'm, I have a nice uh, base of volunteers who are out here helping me. And I'm not just going to go to the primary voters who are homeowners. I'm going to the new faces in the community, the apartment complexes. We're going to hit every place. But the door knocking is the best way for people to get to know you and to build some trust and to build some relationships. Have we shown uh, her campaign website? I didn't think I saw that come up. Let's see. We'll get it up. Here we go. Yeah. I love volunteers. If you want to join and have some fun with this, learn the process. I, I welcome you into the space. And similar to what others are saying, it's about donate, donate and donate. So if you whatever you can give that's meaningful for you, it'll be greatly appreciated. It'd be a meaningful and it's not money that's going to waste. It's definitely an investment in your community. Awesome. Well, lucky yes. Myers, we, uh, we want to just thank you for coming on with us this evening and having this conversation. When I first called you the other day and I was explaining to you about, I didn't know if you'd heard a heartbeat. And I said to you, you know, we try to amplify black women. And I said, you're speaking to one, even though I don't sound like one. And you laughed and you said, I could recognize that nasal tone. <laughs> And so we just want to thank you for um, thanks for taking the call and for coming on to the show with us. Absolutely. Um, we're wishing you the best in your campaign and to our audience who joined us today. Um, thank you for joining us. We had two great candidates on today. Um, so you get to go out to the ballots and uh, vote for who you want of these two candidates. Um, next week, uh, next week's show will be an interesting show. Thank you, Amijah. Next week's show, we have scheduled uh, Senator Patty Cooter is coming on with us to talk about the gun control uh, laws and the things that have been going on in Olympia, as well as we have Lisa Mannion coming on next week, who is the first woman to run for King County prosecutor uh, role. So that'll be um, an exciting conversation. And Joy's taking vacation next week, so we won't have her on with us next week. But I'll look forward to seeing you all next week. Thank you for joining us tonight. You guys all have a good evening. See you next Thanks, week. Cindy. Free Britney, free Britney, free Britney. <laughs>